Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. It is December 15th. We are rounding the corner to Christmas in, uh, what is that, two weeks? Something like that? Something crazy? Cannot believe Christmas is already here, but we are super excited. Today, we have Al Wisniewski with us from Minnesota. Um, He is a land... What was that? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. God damn it. We just had that conversation. And, uh, and I screwed it up. Wisconsin. Al is from Wisconsin. Um, he's a land guy. We love having land guys on the show uh, because it's a very unique uh, strategy. And it's something that a lot of people can get into because it doesn't require as much upfront capital. So I am uh, super excited to have Al on the show. Al, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. From Wisconsin, about Wisconsin. 30 minutes north of Milwaukee. So that'll uh, that'll help people pinpoint the location there. <laughs> there you go. Um, Al, I told you before we got on here, we'd like to start with stories. So uh, take us to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started in real estate? I I think there's a theme. I just kind of fell into it. The more I've talked to people about real estate investing and just real estate, you know, sales and stuff in general, like a lot of people just kind of fell into it. And that that's my story too. Um, when I went to college, um, so this would I, I would have started college in 2010, graduated in 14, and it was my last semester and that's when I was needed to get serious about like my job. And so they have all these resources, right? Like here's some local companies, here's some applications you can do. I think I spent about 20 minutes on that. And I was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't want to go work here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And thankfully this last semester was the first time they were offering a real estate investing course. Um, oh, so it's cool. a full semester on this and this, uh, at your college? but yeah, this was in college. Yeah. Wow. And that's really like, cool. this is freaking awesome. So I took it. It was the only class I never skipped. And <laughs> the professor was, uh, from the local area. This was up in Stevens point, which is like central Wisconsin. And, uh, he, he actually lived in California for quite some time and did flips, uh, wraps, lease options, um, you know, wholesale deals. And he's basically just teaching us his strategy for how we got in and started and investing. And he did it for a really long time. So the whole course was just on that. So I was like, I'm going to do this and uh, graduated, got my uh, broker's license because uh, it was right before Wisconsin changed the uh, the law where you had to work under a broker for two years. So I got my agent and then the next week I went and got my broker's license um, just so I could, you know, fit into that window. Um, so I was a broker right out of college. And then I was like, hey, I'm going to start investing in real estate. I got the knowledge from school, right? It didn't do anything. I, I, I didn't know where to, I didn't know what to do. Um, I did. I barely knew what the MLS was. Um, and I'm like, man, I just learned all this stuff. Like, why am I not getting deals? Like, why, why am I not doing anything? And then uh, so I went. I went more towards the brokerage side when I graduated because it was easy for me um, to focus on land. I've been a lot around land my whole life, um, just hunting properties, farmland, stuff like that. Um, got a couple deals, you know, made 
four figures, I think. <laughs> it was there like 6,000 bucks. I <laughs> uh, thought it was on a roll. The second year, I think I did 15,000 and I was doing it part-time because I had to go back to work. Um, yeah. So I worked at a, a local lumber yard delivering materials. And then I worked at a, a power sports store. Um, that's where I really fell in love with the sales part. Cause I, mm. I wasn't a sales guy at all. Like there was sales that I could have focused on in college. I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like that's horrible. Um, I, I loved it. I loved connecting with people. I loved talking about something that I was passionate about, um, and helping people do that. So then I quit the sales, uh, power sports sales went full time in the real estate, kind of got some footing, you know, learned, learned a job, you know, direct mail, figuring out what marketing was, how to talk to people. Um, so that is where everything kind of really started to, you know, have a foundation. Um, and then I started my own brokerage, um, landed legacy group. And then from there, you know, I was doing really well, um, made money quickly, which was actually a little scary because I didn't know what to do with it. I never, you know, had that happen. Um, but then I just started buying properties too. So, uh, 2020, we bought our first, uh, four unit and then I was addicted to rental income. I was addicted to buying properties. I was addicted to doing all that stuff. And so now we have 11 units, um, that we've acquired a mix of commercial residential, some short-term rentals, some lake properties, um, that we use for short-term rentals, kind of a mixed bag. Um, I just closed on a piece of land that I bought, um, in October, um, using a little bit of creative finance. Um, so I've been kind of going a little bit more into that rather than just traditional lending. So over the last three years, it's really evolved into brokerage and, and building a portfolio. Nice. Yeah. And I think you're right. Um, a lot of people that come on here when I talk to them, it almost seems like, uh, none of them specifically go into real estate originally. Like they just kind of yep. fall into it. Um, you know, they're doing something and then all of a sudden they're in real estate. Uh, but and I mean, it was the case with myself, too. Um, but I love that. And I love how many different ways there are to do real estate. Like you said, you, you're you in short term rentals, you're in commercial, yep. you're in land. There's just uh, so many ways to do it. So many different business models. Um, and really, I mean, there's there's just so much to learn and so many ways to execute it. And so uh, love that. Um, land is something that I don't know a ton about. I mean, obviously, I know what land is, but <laughs> I don't know yeah, yeah. Uh, a ton about the the strategy of creating a business around it. Um, you know, we've gotten land deals that came to us through marketing for mobile home parks, marketing for self storage facilities, that kind of stuff. Um, but we're never like actively looking for land. When it comes to thinking of land from the investment side, what uh, what do you usually do when? How is it? How do you approach it differently from when you look for single family rentals or or whatever you know commercial yeah. properties? Um, how do you market it differently, and what are you looking for in terms of the purchase price versus what the ARV should be? Sure. Yep. And that I, I like that ARV question. So I'll just start from like the brokerage side. So it's you know targeting like if you wanted to get land listings or you know start you know brokering land deals, it's no different than you know if you're going over after you know homes or something like that. Like you have your target. And you just, you know, purchase lists and you start, you know, farming those areas. Um, the hard part is, is, there, when um, is there anything when you're when you're purchasing lists, is there any criteria that you that you look for that signifies it? it will be something that moves quickly if you're the broker or something that would be a good investment if you're the buyer? Yeah. So like in our area, um, building lots are, are very, very popular and in demand. So, you know, an acre 
up to five acres is probably the sweet spot. And those are, you know, you're probably getting anywhere from like a hundred to 250,000 for those. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, in, in parts of like California, right. That's really cheap, but yeah. for us, those are really good prices. And then those, those turn over really well, as long as it's a, a ready to go building lot. Um, once you get over like 10 acres, you know, now you're talking 250, 300, you know, bigger tracks, but we don't have too many of those in our area. So to just focus on stuff that's like large, like 30 acres or more, you're, they're bigger priced properties, but you don't get as many. So kind of your sweet spot are those people looking to build a house. Um, and it's good if you're, if you're a residential broker too, and you kind of specialize in land, it's good that way too, because you can help people find these building lots, you know, they're going to build a house and then you could sell, you know, their house as they make that transition. So you can kind of work, mm-hmm. work both sides. Yep. Um, so we, we try to focus more on, on that type of property, a building lot. Um, there are bigger pieces of farmland that maybe are 30 acres, but somebody at some point is probably going to do like a hobby farm or something on that. Mm. So that's kind of how we, you know, dispo it or, or, or sell it is, you know, we're looking for people that, you know, are, I would say a little bit more advanced in their buying stage. You know, they have a larger down payment. Uh, because the financing is totally different than if you're going to be funding a, a house uh, like FHA, you could probably get what three and a half percent down with land. You're probably going to be needing 20 percent to 25 um, percent. And there's no rental income. You might get a little bit from farmland. Um, it's it's going to cover your taxes. It's going to put a little money in your pocket. Um so it's more of a, I always say it's more of an appreciation type of hold. It's a long-term hold. There are instances where I've seen people, you know, there was a situation, they were able to acquire it super cheap. Maybe they divided off a section of it, sold that as a building lot. You know, now we're kind of going back to the building lots because it was so in demand and they can get a higher price per acre. Um, or they bought the whole thing, didn't really have a use for it. And just, you know, if you have 40 acres and you can make $1,000 an acre on a quick sale, you know, you can, you know, flip that property, so to speak. It's just harder because there's really, you know, the the buyer pool is so limited because you're not buying people. This is a, this is a second, third, fourth, or fifth property for some people versus someone looking to buy a house where they're going to live there for, you know, three to 10 years, basically. Yeah. Um, And so when you're looking at the larger lots or even, I mean, even a a two acre parcel or or a one acre parcel, um, Mm -hmm. do you ever consider doing subdividing or is it always just you're buying the acre um, just to sell it to, uh, it, to somebody who's looking to build. It really depends because um, sometimes you got to look at the, the what the townships are allowing you to do. You might have two acres, um, and maybe you can split it into to one acre lots. You know, with with the shape and the size, but that town might have a minimum acreage of of two, mm-hmm. so you can get away with that. Um, a, a really good example is that maybe if somebody had like 10 acres that lays out, you could do two five acre lots, five acre is five acres in our area seems to be kind of that, that minimum that towns like to have. So if you have a 10 acre piece and you can, you know, lay out two five acre ones really well, you know, that's something that'd be a really simple subdivision where you could do it. Now, if you wanted to do like a big development, you know, there, there's just a lot of money involved as far as the land acquisition. Like you might need 40 acres um, and that might cost you a million dollars to just get the land. And now you have all the survey work, the permits, the approvals, uh, you know, that's going to take anywhere from six to 18 months uh, to get. So there's the, the carrying cost is really high in order to get your first product that you can sell, which is a building lot. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, yeah, so let's talk about pricing. That's the uh, I, I've looked at land before, considered mm-hmm. buying it, um, but I'm always just I cannot decide on pricing because land goes for it's just all over the board. Um, so when you're out there, you're marketing for properties to buy, uh, for land to buy. How do you how do you price it? Um, you know, how do you find the ARV? Do you do like 25%, 50% of the ARV? How do you go about creating a, a price structure for it? Yeah. Because with a house, you can go, okay, if I put, you know, $20,000 into a kitchen, right? Like my ARV is going to be right around here. With land, it's really hard because, you know, you're not putting in a kitchen. You're not really doing all of that stuff. So I guess ARV is the wrong wrong word. But yeah. Yeah. You know I, mean. I don't know. They don't probably don't have one for land yet. I don't know if yeah. they do. But <laughs> you, you, it's all about like land use, right? So like we're talking about development land. So in certain areas, you know, farmland is is farmland, right? It's not going to be a development piece or anything like that. But if you get onto these uh, fringe areas of cities and towns that are looking to expand, what you want to look for is um, uh, comprehensive plans. And a lot of these municipalities have them published, you know, for, you know, 20 or 30 years out. And you can see which properties might be zoned, let's say, agricultural today. But in the next, you know, five to 10 years, it's actually a transition piece where they want it to be single family residential. Mm. So somebody looking to stick money into into land, maybe you can pick that property up for farmland value uh, today. And then in five years, maybe it's more of a development value. So maybe you gain, you know, let's say it's $10,000 an acre for farmland. But in five years, based on you know development, everything coming together, it bumps up to fifteen or twenty thousand an acre, and then you then you offload that to a developer who will come in and put the infrastructure and get all the approvals that way. So that's one way to look at it. The other way is to I've had a lot of people buy uh, hunting land, for example, and so it's it's just you know people say oh it's just trees and all this other stuff, but really what people want now is a turnkey operation. They just want to come in and shoot a deer and, you know, have fun. So they don't want to put in trails or anything like that. So I've had a lot of people buy uh, off-market properties. They get, you know, let's say 70 to 80% on what it probably could trade for uh, on the open market. And then they'll come in and they'll put in, you know, trails, they'll get some trail cameras uh, of, you know, deer and turkeys and all the other wildlife. Maybe they'll put like a little uh, cabin on it that's you know rather inexpensive they'll do surveys and stuff like that but then they basically are making a turnkey hunting property and then you know since they're getting money off on the purchase and they're adding value by just improving the property and making it a lot nicer um, they can cash out that way I've had a couple people do that um, obviously it's just a little bit harder because you're you're carrying costs you're not getting income right away mm. uh, and you're, you're you're shelling out a lot of money just to get it to this point and then you got to find a buyer for it and again, the buyer is someone that is, you know, a second to fifth. This is their second or fifth property. So it's you, you got to be a little patient with that. And it's a lot more risky than, you know, flipping a house or something like that. Yeah, no, but that is a that's a very interesting use of large tracts of rural land is turning it into something that a hunter would want to mm-hmm. buy. Um, and this might be my naivety here, but are properties actually zoned hunting? Is that a zoning classification or is that just... Yes and no. Like we have we have recreation zoning, okay. um, but that's usually like for land that maybe is like swamp or something like that. 
Um, but most of, I would say the majority of our properties are actually zoned agricultural, um, even though they might not be used for farming. Um, they'll be assessed a little bit different on the tax bill. Like if it's zoned agricultural, it might be, you know, 50% of it is farmland, 50% is woods. Um, the farmland would probably be assessed agricultural, and then the woods would probably be assessed as like agricultural forest or something like that. So there's different, the zoning is usually pretty consistent, but then when you look at your tax bill, it'll be broken up depending on what your property is, hmm. what, and so what it, types of property you have. Right. And so any, any property that is zoned, I'm kind of, I'm stuck on this hunting idea. Any property that's zoned <laughs> agricultural, uh, can be used as, well, I'm sure it's specific to County, but can be used as a hunting ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're running the trouble is like, sometimes we have, um, we have properties that are, you know, 40 acres, but they're actually in like the city limits. So then you got to, it might even be zoned residential and you can hunt it, but you got to watch the city ordinances because it, you probably can't shoot a firearm in there, but you can shoot a, a bow. Mm. So then okay. you're okay. You just got to double check all that stuff. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we've yeah, been some crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, I mean, it's another interesting idea of uh, turning a property into something that would produce um, income. I'm sure you can even rent out land for hunting. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. big market it's interesting um so when it comes to your own acquisitions of parcels what do you do you do rezoning like what's the strategy you do so the the property that i just bought in um october i i knew the area um it's actually very close to where our family owns land and i knew the chances of it ever coming up for sale again were were very slim and so we're actually building a house right now so we're going through the whole identify property uh, go through the construction. And then, you know, this is a property that we're going to use for our single, you know, our primary residence. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm viewing it as a long-term asset to eventually use as a, as a rental property. So okay. while we were getting started on that, this other property came up that's close to our family land. And uh, I'm like, I have to buy it. Like I, I know the area. Um, I know in 10 years, it's going to be a good purchase. And maybe we, maybe we build a second home and you know keep the first one as a rental so i'm kind of in my mind i'm looking at land as you know how is this going to benefit my portfolio right we have the i got experience in short-term rentals i got experience in uh commercial and, and multifamily, but i don't have that other piece you know diversifying my portfolio and it's got farmland income on it so it's not gonna be a ton of money but it'll pay for the taxes it'll pay for the insurance and it's an appreciation play uh, for me, or it's going to be something that I use down down the road. So I bought it knowing that um, I had to get a little creative on the financing. So the seller actually didn't want all the money up front. So they financed half of it for me. And then I just used cash for the other part. And now we're just going to do a refi um, on it just to lock in a longer term, a longer term note. So Everything, you know, everything that I'm buying, you know, as far as land wise is it's got an investment component to it, but it's also got like a long term portfolio builder for it. it's stuff that I actually want. Like I want to own farms. So I look at farms for sale. And if there's one that I like, you know, I'll look at the buildings because then you can get uh, depreciation, you know, for your taxes, um, rental income. If you rent out the house, there's farmland income. If there's woods on it, I can hunt it or lease that out like we kind of just talked about. Um, so I'm looking at these types of properties as portfolio builders and long-term appreciation where, you know, 
do I ever want to sell a property? Not really. Like I get attached to them, right? But if there's an offer that comes in that's really, really good, now I have to consider that. And so that's kind of where I'm looking to build my personal portfolio. Um, and it's been fun on the brokerage side because I'm meeting people as I'm doing this that want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're kind of looking at properties together um, to buy larger tracts, you know, where maybe I can only do five acres by myself. We're looking at like 100 to 200 acres with, oh, with cool. buildings on them and maybe they are operational farms. Um, so it's kind of changed our, our direction a little bit. Um, and it's something that I'm really excited for in like the next five years. Very cool, man. And yeah, farm uh, farmlands, a whole nother topic that we can go into. Um, unfortunately, we have run down the clock. So it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Yeah, you got it. All right, let's do it. Starts with books or any form of education. All I need are two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, one for real estate specific. Okay, I just finished... Um, what it takes by Steve Schwarzman. He's the founder and CEO of Blackstone. Mm. Taught me a lot about just honestly picking up the phone, connections, building your de- or your Rolodex or having lists, and just keeping it super simple. Um, as far as uh, life lessons, boy, I've read a lot of books this year. Um, but I actually Ari Rasagar. He's not super well known, but he's a very successful man. Um, he has a book that's called The Gift of Failure. Um, it'll apply to business, but also just like super personal stuff too. Like I failed at this today. Maybe I didn't go to the gym, right? Well, that is a gift. You know, you can use that and turn it into a positive of get your ass to the gym, you know? Um, so those are two books that I, I really, really liked and they're easier. Yeah, those are, that's good recommendations. Uh, you said the gift of failure and then what it takes, right? What it takes. Yep. Cool. I will have to look into those. All right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Al who was uh, just, you know, just couldn't get into the graduation table, thinking about what he was going to do for the next few years. Um, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Get your broker's license freshman year of college and just do that during school. Yeah, that is uh, we have a six month old daughter and that's what I'm going to have her do. I'm, she's yep. going to get a real estate license as soon as she can. That's the money she can make on the side. Uh, yep. Great advice for your younger self. All right. Next question is about the US. It's a big, big place. A lot of opportunity out there. Give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. Um, honestly, any rural town, um, especially in Wisconsin, like I'll probably stay close to Wisconsin, but there's a lot of uh there's a lot of these kind of towns that I'm seeing kind of get revitalized. You know, mm-hmm. they it's fixing up uh you know, their main street, um, or, you know, putting property into farmland preservation. There's a lot of like heritage protection going on, um, Mm. that I kind of see as a growing trend. And so I'm looking to be a part of that, um, to preserve a lot of these cool properties. That's cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything, any specific small, uh, small town that you, um, I mean, so where I'm from West Bend, it's about 40,000 people. Um, so for a lot of people, that's pretty small. Um, and they just stuck a ton of money into redoing the river walk, it's called. So the Milwaukee River comes through um, and they it was like a three or four year project. And we have a building that's in the district, so to speak. So they they redid everything. We were, you know, working with them as far as, uh, you know, some utilities and just kind of being a part of it. Um, so that was that was really cool. So I've seen it. And then they just redid the whole Main Street part of that. So it was really cool just to be a part of it. Cool. 
All right. Next question is about finding the deal. It all starts with getting in contact with the seller. So what is your favorite way to generate leads and find new deals? Three weeks ago, it would have been uh, texting. And then uh, they had a huge compliance update. Didn't like it anymore. Uh, cold calling is uh, my new number one. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. Oh, okay. Cold calling. Do you yep. do that yourself or do you have... Uh, no, VAs. Yeah. <laughs> VAs do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to lead generation, it's fun, uh, like, you know, we do it all. We do all the different types of, of uh, marketing. And I feel like sometimes something will work. Cold calling will work. Uh, um, letters will work. Texting will work. And other times another strategy will work. And it's just you got to do them all and just keep pounding at it. And eventually uh, something's going to come through. Yeah, I built my business was built on direct mail, no doubt. Um, yeah. And it was me doing individual letters. And it just oh, I, you I were writing I, them. Yeah, I was oh, writing wow. them. And I got to a point where it's like, hey, I need to do more. And I just ha- then you, you start looking at systems and companies that help you do that. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I probably, I don't know, wrote out my first couple hundred. And then after yeah. that, I was like, this is not scalable. I cannot. Yeah, it's not. It's not. But it works. It freaking works. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question is about mentors. Uh, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So who is one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today? Uh, so I'm part of Kent Clothier's boardroom mastermind. Um, this is my, I entered my second year actually in d- this month. Um, complete, my business is so different than when I first joined, you know, cool. just systems, processes, everything. So um, love his style, very direct, um, been a great, great group to be in. And give that uh, that resource a shout out one more time. It was Kent Clothier. Yep. Kent Clothier. And he is, it's called the boardroom mastermind. Boardroom mastermind. All right. All right. Next question is about lessons learned. Um, not every deal goes the way that we expect it. Sometimes things, uh, you know, a wrench gets thrown into there. So what is a, a deal that kind of went a little sideways and what was the lesson you pulled from it? Oh, God, I have to pick one deal. Um, <laughs> so with like, I'll just go like land in general, right? Because <clears throat> you're dealing with a lot of things like we're doing a land split right now. And it's been Almost, we're going on our sixth month from when we got the accepted offer. And sometimes it's never straight. Like we're doing survey work and you got to talk with counties and towns and a lot of these people meet once a month. Um, so what I've learned just doing land that's kind of applied everywhere is you really have to detach yourself from the end result because it'll block your progress. And you might say like you get like so fixated, like, hey, I got this deal in our contract. I'm going to get paid on it. You know, but then an issue comes up and you take it so personal because now you have a chance where shit, I might not get paid on this or it's gonna fall through, but I got all this time. Um, so I've just been really good at or have learned to just kind of detach from that mm-hmm. and just say, look, okay, this is gonna be a process. It's gonna take six or seven months. Here are the items we gotta do for it to get done. Um, and you just you enter those um conversations with a level head you know, you're, you're a better resource for, you know, the client and even just meeting with like town people, you know, they, this is a part-time job for them. It's not their main job. So if you come in like guns a blazing, like you're just setting yourself back. Um, so just to kind of have that level head, detach yourself from the outcome and just, you know, build that patience. And while, while you're doing that, build a relationship with those contacts because more than likely you're going to see them again and you don't want to burn a bridge with them on the first try especially when you have another project and they're the deciding vote you want to have them in your in your corner yeah 
Yeah, I think that's a really good advice, um, especially for you know finding deals. Uh, just be detached from the outcome because I don't know how many deals I've been I worked on for so long, and then you know it fell through for whatever reason. But that's just the name in the game. You just gotta you gotta realize that uh, things are not going to go the way you expect, and just uh, you know hold hold out hope that something will come through. And when it does, it's great. If not, then on to the next one. Exactly. You can only control so much. Absolutely. Especially when there's so many people involved. Yep. All right. Next question is for the listeners. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. What is the best way for them to do that? Uh, I prefer email. So it's just al at landandlegacygroup.com. That's just landandlegacygroup.com all spelled out. No fancy symbols or anything like that. Um, that's the best communication for me. Cool. Um, and I will put his link in the show notes, Land and Legacy Group. Um, all you guys got to do is just click that little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description in there. You can find Al's links. All right, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been great. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, the Real Estate Investing Club.com. If you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form, fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.